And a very warm welcome to another big kickoff rugby podcast, talking all things rugby. We've got a huge amount to get through in about the next 35 minutes. Joining me from Talking Rugby Union is uh, Joe Harvey. Hi, Joe. Hi, Peter. How are things? Very well. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. I think, as I said just before we record, it's one of them. Already one of those weeks where it seems like the time's getting away from you. <laughs> I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Um, we've also been joined by uh, former uh, Director of Rugby at Harlequins, uh, John Kingston. Hi, John. Evening. How are you? Very well yourself? Yeah, pleased to be on. It's nice to see you all. We're pleased to have you, as always. Likewise to uh, Nick Ruc- Rucastle, formerly of uh, Communications Team at uh, Harlequins, now Head of uh, NRPR. Good evening, Nick. Hi, uh, Peter. How are you? All right. Very well. And last but by no means least, it must have been a thrilling finish in the Pakistan Cricket League because Debbie Knight has come on straight away. Hi, Debbie. Hi, and my team have just won. Oh, well, you're going to be in great spirits in the next 35 minutes, I can tell. You're uh, right. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. Welcome, Debbie. So, a lot to get through, as I was saying. We'll be talking about uh, New Zealand rugby. We'll also be talking about... Uh, the new Gallagher Premiership season, which of course kicks off uh, this coming uh, Friday and weekend. Uh, players to watch, a player to watch for. Uh, but let's start then with the uh, Nations Cup. Uh, it all started back on uh, Friday evening. Ireland up against uh, Wales. 32-9 to Ireland. Uh, let's start with you, John. Um, Wales are in a bit of a free fall at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, I, I actually could use the expression goldfish bowl on two or three parts of the subject we're going to talk about tonight. Um, and this is definitely the case. Welsh rugby, it, it's not dissimilar to my beloved Newcastle football. If things are not going well, it's very, very difficult place to be around. Um, the expectation is huge and they've created that expectation over a sustained success. Um, when you look in isolation at the results, it's not been that much wrong, but it builds up and suddenly then you've lost at home to, they'll perceive a game they shouldn't lose, Scotland, although Scotland are winning games now. And suddenly you've lost, you know, whatever many it is, six in a row now. And everybody's talking about the fact that it's eight in a row. Um, They didn't play well on the day. They were pressured into everything. I thought Ireland just basically suffocated them in everything that they did. Didn't have a platform set piece time and the game slowly dribbled away from them. So it's a difficult place to be in, really. Nick, um, how good are Ireland at the moment? I know it's early days to sort of judge them, but, you, you know, you sort of look at that performance. All right, yeah, Wales were poor, as we've been saying, but you've got to give credit to Ireland for a professional performance. You absolutely do. I think Andy Farrell's done an outstanding job. He's got a really strong backroom team and he's, he's bringing the best out of players who, you know, recently, over the last few years, you know, that Ireland side hasn't been as consistent and as many will have expected. So he, I think he's done a brilliant, brilliant job. I th- you know, they Wales were were poor. They have been poor for the last six games, as, as we all talk about. But, you know, they did put up a... They, they built a bit of momentum in that second half and, and Ireland did well to, to keep on top of the game and not be overwhelmed by what, you know, the Welsh side is a very strong side on its day when they're in form. Uh, let's look at the individuals in that team. We can't discount that. There's something clearly not ticking. So I think Ireland have done a great job. Look, England will be up for a, a, a tricky test against Ireland. I think it'll be the the game of the the, the tournament, really, um, for me. Uh, you know, Johnny Sexton, uh, his injury, it could be a, a big blow for that side. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that will be a big blow, as you quite rightly say. Obviously, we can't say that Ireland are a one-man side with Johnny Sexton. No, because it helps, isn't it? A fully fit Sexton is always going to boost an Ireland side. Um, then, of course, we had England and uh, Georgia. Um, Joe was lucky enough to uh, go along and uh, uh, work there as well and uh, watch the game. Um, Joe, comfortable victory for England. I mean, to be fair, nobody would have said beforehand we're going to put much pressure um, as such. But, you know, as we're all saying with England, they get the job done and they did on Saturday. Yeah, no, certainly. And I think the key thing for Eddie Jones on Saturday was that he actually didn't select that full-strength side. He didn't go with Maka Vanapola in the front row. He didn't go with Carl Sinclair. He went with Will Stewart and Ellis Genge, two guys that actually, in terms of international starts, have got very few. And they actually managed to come up against a, a side in Georgia who obviously pride themselves on their physicality. They pride themselves on their scrum. Mm -hmm. And none of the guys that were relatively new to international rugby, such as Nolly Lawrence or uh, Jack Willis, for example, None of them seemed too phased by what they were coming up against in Georgia. And it was a Georgia team that actually, for, for periods, had really good defence and actually weren't completely kind of, they weren't run over entirely. It was only in certain periods that the tries went past them. But yeah, it was just one of those, another one of those days where Eddie Jones can turn, turn around and say he's possibly got the best depth in world rugby. Mm. Debbie, um, Jamie George... I know you're going to enjoy talking about Jamie George, aren't you? Um, Hat-trick, uh, played yeah. remarkably well. I, I, I will personally praise uh, Jack Willis on, on his debut. I thought he played exceptionally well as well. But um, what's your over, overall thoughts on last week? I think I uh, my overall thoughts, um, I think they probably tested themselves, didn't they, against that scrum. Georgia are known to be strong in the scrum. We didn't see much running rugby, which I think was a little bit disappointing. Um, Jamie said himself, I don't know whether you saw, but he said himself, that's really, that's an eight-man try each time, really, isn't it? I know he has to get in the position to get the ball and he has to throw it in well. Um, he, he's a great player. I mean, he was on the wing a few times. And I think he didn't he chip forward at one point. I, he's brilliant. I love him. He's brilliant. I'm bound to answer. I'm a Saracens fan, so I'm bound to sing his praises. Uh, I'd, I'd have liked to see some other young players in there. And, I'm gonna, and, and, I, and I guess this weekend against Ireland, that probably won't happen. Um, but it's hard to see past England in their group. We haven't seen France yet. It'll be interesting to see how they do in their group. Yeah, you, you, we'll come on to uh, Eddie's 25-man uh, squad that was announced a little while ago. And, uh, you know, poor Jack Willis, he, he scores a Chinese debut. And then uh, when it comes to the big game this weekend, you feel most people would have said, well, he's got to be a shoe into play, surely. But at the end of the day, he ends up getting left out. We'll come on to that shortly. Before that, let's look at, at uh, the other match played. Um, John touched briefly on Scotland, who are in form at the moment. I mean, Gregor Townsend's doing a very good job there. To beat Italy, they had to do it and come from behind as well. 28-17. Um, John, what was your thoughts on that game? Yeah, look, it's a bit almost the opposite to Wales. You know, suddenly they've won five in a row and you're thinking, well, really, you know, how, how exciting really is that? Well, they beat France, you know, which was a tremendous game. And I think it's going to be a real test for them this weekend with France now having their full side out. Mm. Another fly-half might be injured, but they've got a main team there to play and that's going to be a real test for them. But I was impressed because they did the basics well. 
uh, and they didn't panic when they went behind. Uh, I think the pack is starting to groove really well. I think people like Ferguson has done a really good job on the tight head. Uh, I think the line-out's going really well. Johnny's playing really well in the second row there. And Hamish Watson in the back row as well has stood out for me. So I, I think they've got a decent pack there that's doing the basics well for them, uh, a bit like England did. Um, yeah, Italy played well, actually. And um, you'd have said at half-time, probably Italy are going to win this because they looked like they had control in a lot of the areas. So it's testament to Scotland. That's probably confidence that comes with winning those sort of games in Wales. They've suddenly their confidence will have been lifted. Big test for them this weekend to see how it goes against France. I'm actually really looking forward to that game on Sunday, to be honest. Mm, very much so. Well, look, we're going to uh, turn now to the women's international. Um, I know we talked about them quite a few times on the uh, Big Kickoff Rugby podcast. Uh, Nick, um, talking about France, England women, 33, France 10. Another good performance from England ladies. Outstanding. I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head how many games they've won in a row, but <laughs> I'm sure it'll be quite impressive. Um, the, the, the side is just unbeatable, really. You just look at some of the plays that they make, the line breaks from some of those players, their, their line-outs working seamlessly. That pack is just, it's dangerous. You know, you've got sort of that front row with Shauna Brown, and she, I know I bring her up a lot, but she's an incredible talent. Um, you know, you've got sort of at nine, someone like Leanne Riley, who can just, just command that that role and, and does brilliantly. So it's, yeah, it, it's scary how good they are. Um, you know, we, we could go back to the sort of the massive divide between England and everyone else. Um, but, you know, that's not the conversation we want to be having. I think let's just, yeah, recognise how great these these players are and, yeah, I mean, fair play to them. Yeah, done exceptionally well. Well done to the girls. Yeah. Now, we're, we're going to change tack now. Um, we're going to talk All Blacks rugby. <laughs> Who would have thought after two successive defeats, some people already are beginning to turn around and say, the mighty All Blacks, they are beatable. Is this the end of an era of dominance in rugby? Uh, Joe, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, it's difficult to say if it's an end of an era of dominance. I think we see with every team a year after a World Cup, maybe two years after a World Cup, they go through the transitional period of trying to establish new internationals, guys to kind of take the mantle, so to speak. Um, and I think it's just part of that transitional period at the moment. Obviously, against Australia, it was ill-discipline, I think, at the weekend on um, on Saturday morning. Uh, it was it was just pure dominance from Argentina, an Argentina team that hadn't played for 14 months that, and wanted to play for their country. Yeah, you're right. I mean... Um... New Zealand, second defeat in a row uh, since 2011, or what's that, nine, nine years. It's a long time, true, at the end of the day. John, as a sort of former <laughs> director of rugby, coach, etc., Ian Foster, do you feel he's under pressure already? Uh, look, what did I say to you at the start about the goldfish bowl? There's the second <laughs> one, um, because that's a bigger goldfish bowl than uh, than Wales, respect, <laughs> respectfully to Wales. Uh Look, I think people, you know, get over-eulogise over about things. The bottom line is New Zealand got beaten in the semi-final of the World Cup in 2019. There's something about the shirt and people think, oh, you know, they're the best in the world. They're not the best in the world at the moment. They're three, I think it is, at the moment in the world. They're one of the very best sides and they will be right there when it comes to it, along with all of the other major sides. Um, I think you've got to take your hat off to Argentina. They put them under immense pressure. Did New Zealand come in a little bit? Um, complacent, 
I don't know. It's difficult to say. It's easy to point the finger at that. But Argentina were given a, a route into the game, and by goodness, they took it. I thought some of their um, their will to win was amazing. The way they were knocking themselves, knocking people back, the way they were going into rooks. Their captain Matera, just extraordinary, and two or three of them were quite outstanding in their performances. I wouldn't be writing New Zealand off at all. Uh, they've got so, several players, several very, very good players. Ian's got a good CV. He wouldn't have got that job unless he was the right person to do it. And they'll come back fitter and stronger in due course. People were writing them off probably when England, I seem to remember England beating New Zealand by God knows how many points at Twickenham, didn't they? Just before right. a year or two mm-hmm. before England then, uh, New Zealand then went on to win the World Cup. So I wouldn't be falling into that trap, Peter, no. Nick, what's your take on uh, the All Blacks at the moment? Yeah, I have to agree with John um, completely that they are, you know, one of the best sides in the world. I think when, when Steve Hansen obviously took a step back and, and stepped down and Ian was brought in, there was there was always going to be a bit of uncertainty, a bit of doubt with such a side like that. But they, they've, they've got the same talent on the pitch. And it, yeah, maybe it's a bedding in period, I don't know. But I was reading earlier, I think it was on Fox Sports, a piece where, you know, the New Zealand fans are calling for for Ian's head. I mean, that, that's bonkers. You know, he, he's had a few games, really. What five games? I think. Mm. Um, give the man time. He has got a world class side, and he's up against the best. And let's not discount the the Argent, You know, the Argentines. They were they were brilliant on the day. And fair play to them. I personally love seeing Argentina play well. They're they're a great side to watch. A great nation. I love the passion um, from the coaches up in the box as well. You know, the the raw emotion was. A delight to see. <laughs> well, talking of coaches under pressure, uh, this week Leicester Tigers announced that uh, Gordon Murphy has left his role there as director of rugby at Tigers. He'd been with the club for something like 23 years. I mean, that's a phenomenal amount of time for anybody to be with any club. Um, I suppose, it, to be fair, in this day of, uh, you know, sort of, if, if, if people don't get results, Immediately, everyone's under pressure. And, of course, someone has to get the, the boot, so to speak. Um, it doesn't happen very often in rugby. Obviously, in football terms, it does. Yes, you know, you sort of lose about three or four games and that's it. You're out type of thing. But, obviously, rugby, to be fair, there seems a huge amount of loyalty. Well, I say that, but, you know, 23 years has now gone there as regard uh, uh, Mr Murphy up at Leicester. Um, Debbie, what's, it probably would come as no surprise, true. But, you know, do you think you should... Possibly could have been given a bit more time start of a new season coming up. I think I think it was inevitable that he's gone. I think the timing of it, it, it was ridiculous because they must have known for weeks that was going to happen. But to do it the week before the new season starts, mm. I mean, the Tigers fans are, are very unhappy with the with the timing. They they obviously they understand he hasn't had the results that they would like. But he is a man that, that Tigers fans are very loyal to. Um, I mean, he's not the first of the, of the coaches to go either, is he? What, somebody put a photo up of, I think, maybe six of them and with crosses against three of them. Um, I think they... I've been impressed with the way Tigers have run off the pitch uh, in this lockdown period. I think they run differently as a public limited company. Um, but I've not, I'm not impressed with the timing for this at all. But I think it was inevitable that he went. I think Steve, Steve Borthwick is going to want to make his own mark. It'll be interesting to see if Mike Ford is still there at the end of the season. 
mm. and what role he takes if he is. That's going to be the interesting one to watch next, I think. Very good points there. Uh, Joe, what's your take on it? Well, I think I, I come into this one with a unique... I'll start with a unique statement. I can't remember a time that Geordie Murphy wasn't at Leicester Tigers simply because his time at Leicester started before I was born. <laughs> so that's, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm now pretty much a fully grown adult. And, you know, he's, he's been there that entire time. And I think I spoke to him at the start of last season at Welford Road. And the man that I saw at the start of last season, at the end of last season, was a different man. He looked visibly older. He clearly... <laughs> you know, lost weight and, and this and that. I think I think him leaving Leicester at this stage was important, not only, you know, for the team in order of moving on with with Steve, but I think for him as well, because he, you know, there was times that he didn't, you know, he didn't seem the man he was 12 months prior, 13 months prior. Um, and for a lot of that kind of close to the season at, at Tigers, it did seem like they were testing out, they were feeling out who was going to be their stars of the future, who was going to be their leadership group for this year. You know, that's what those kind of mixed squads told me. And obviously there's people here with more in the know of I than, than what you do in that situation. But I, it's, it's a sad end because it's such a, you know, in, in many ways he's a dynasty there. He's brought through many of the, the you know, the homegrown players at the club. He's brought some of them back even in the last few months. Um, he, he's always going to leave a legacy, but they do need to kind of move on from that Tigers mentality of 15 years ago that saw them obviously be at the very top of the club game in many ways where Saracens ended up being. But, you know, they've, they've kind of got to plan for the future. And unfortunately, you know, cutting all those ties is, is perhaps the way they're going to do it. John, what's your uh, feelings in relation to that? Goldfish Bowl number three, <laughs> Tigers, because it's a rugby city. I know it's gonna, that's going to serve people, Leicester City, well it is, it's a rugby city still, mm. really. Listen, this is a club that made 13 out of 15 Premiership finals between 1999 and 2013, so consider the mindset when now that starts to dribble away. And let's be quite clear, Le- uh, Leicester have finished 11th last year, and that was because Saracens were put 12th, so they finished bottom, and the year before they finished 11th as well. So they're clambering around for clues about what to do. Uh, I have to say, I don't think that actually the direction at the top, uh, I think it's confused, and I think that Jordan has had the tough end of that. Um, I've got reason to... um, say that without actually um, wishing to be um, just difficult and awkward for the sake of I don't think it's obviously not well intended everybody's got Leicester's best interests at heart but they're fumbling around to try and find things almost in the way they were giving Jordan different jobs and roles and responsibilities and I think the end of the day probably they were discussing whether Jordan was going to be here at the end of this year I don't know this as in the end of the season and I think when it became apparent he wasn't they probably decided it was time to move on. The timing, as Debs has said, is is really poor. They've got previous of this before. Matt O'Connor left after one game. More floundering, not sure. Lack of direction. Steve's got a massive job on his hands. Uh, He does not have, he has international experience, but I tell you, week in, week out, club experience on the coalface is tough. And uh, that's going to be a tough gag. And particularly with what's been going on in the last week or so. You know, somebody's run over the odd black cat, haven't they? Because they haven't even been in their ground for the last week or 10 days. So 
you know, I do like I do like to see them come back because obviously they're one of the bastions of English club rugby. We need a strong Leicester team, and uh, they've got some good players, but they are away playing with England, and what's underneath that? And I, I can only see another very tough, tough year ahead for them, to be honest, Peter. Mm. Which leads us nicely into uh, the start of the uh, Gallagher Premiership, as I mentioned at the start of the uh, big kickoff. Uh, Rugby podcast that all starts on Friday. Quinn's at home to uh, Exeter. I'll come on to Nick's thoughts of that shortly. Uh, Sal, they entertain Northampton. Um, so, Nick, come on then. Uh, Harley Quinn's against Exeter. I, I was uh, on a Zoom call with Gussie earlier, and he, he understandably so, was absolutely uh, championing at the bit and thriving with Exeter. He wasn't afraid at all about playing uh, the, the, the double champion so to speak well what's your take first of all on that match and the season ahead in the premiership absolutely well look guzzy is is not <laughs> one to uh, be afraid of anything um and he <laughs> you notice a shift in him during i saw i did one pre-season with him and then nearly a full season uh, you know the man man loves rugby when rugby's happening he's at, he's at his happiest um don't tell his wife and kids that i'm afraid um but look i think this game at the weekend is going to be Really, really interesting, and I cannot call it. Obviously, I want Quinns to win. I think Exeter will win, but I'm not saying that with real confidence because you just look at the, this the weird season we just had. Exeter have had what a couple of weeks off. Quinns are a bit more refreshed, only a bit. Um, you know, John will quite rightly, you know, reiterate the importance of a of a good preseason, good off season, time for players to. Have some R and R, rebuild their their mental and physical strength, and then you know get back into it. So it's going to be a tough one to call. I think Quinns have have built a really exciting side. You know they've brought in some South African talent. You know Andreas de Hazen looks looks really exciting. Wilco Low, uh, they've got an incredible back line, which I'll come on to a bit later when we talk about players to watch. Um, I think you can all guess which club my player's coming from. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's going to be a really good game and Exeter will want to maintain that momentum and, you know, prove why they are the champions. Um, be toughy. Hmm. John, when you're up against the champions in an opening game of the season, is it probably better to start off with them or, you know, have sort of four or five games under your belt knowing that you're going to end up having to play them eventually? Look, they're not going to say this, but... A, I think Harlequins, it's best time to play Exeter. B, I think Harlequins will win. Um, they've beaten them the last two years, if I'm not mistaken, at the Stoop, I think. Certainly beat them last year. Exeter are going to be missing an awful lot of players and they've had a nine, ten-day pre-season. That's really difficult. I don't care who you are. Uh, I think that's really, really difficult. And I'm not underestimating Exeter by any manner of means. Ask me who I think are going to be in the top four at the end of the year without a shadow of a doubt. Who are favourites to win it? Almost certainly Exeter. Um, but I just think on the night, I think it's the perfect time for Harlequins to play them. And uh, I think they'll be absolutely waiting for them. They really will. It's the best possible time to be playing Exeter Chiefs. Joe, um, what's your thoughts ahead of the season? Um, you know, John mentioned Exeter, obviously clear favourites, yes. Um, are Wasps going to be up there after a, that excellent run last season? Can Sal get in there? What, what, what's your take on the coming season? Yeah, I think I think you're right, definitely, with Wasps. I think their, their form towards the end of last season showed that they can kind of pick up that momentum. 
The only kind of real question about it is the depth. Obviously, they lose, they've lost Joe Launchbury and Will Rollins both to international duty. And obviously, you know, your second row as much as your back row and your front row is, you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of a bedrock of a team. It keeps you driving forward at the line out and everything like that. Um, but ultimately, I think you're right with Sale as well. I think Sale feel like, you know, they, they've kind of had their backs against the wall at the end of last season in particular. They They definitely have they definitely will feel like they've got something to prove, especially after the way last season ended. Although I'm not sure what's going on with their South Africa qualified players because I know a number of them were selected for duty, but obviously South Africa not playing in the Tri-Nations tournament. So it's kind of, I'm not actually totally sure what's going on there. Probably should have gone on sales press conference today and found that one out. But, you know, as is life. Um, I think Bath as well. I think they're going to be looking to beat Falcons open day of the season. But again, with Bath, you know, they're, they're missing a number of key individuals to international duty. So I think we will see probably one rogue team break into the top four because ultimately the nature of the season at the moment is such a condensed international period. There are going to be key players missing for so many teams. I'd probably suggest that maybe a Northampton, for example, probably could be one of those sneaky teams to kind of break that top four. Weren't too far away at one point last season before kind of falling off a cliff face. But I think there's going to be one team. I just can't say who it is. And I don't, and I'm just hoping that Falcons don't get relegated as, you know, that was the team that I supported growing up, but I kind of want them to do all right. <laughs> Debbie, thoughts on Bristol? I mean, obviously they had a magnificent season. Uh, they were a joy to watch. And you know, they're very unlucky, actually, in the end. Um, can they maintain that from last season? Yeah, I think they can. Um, I mean, that their semi-final, you could have knocked me down with a feather, what happened there. Uh, yeah, I think they can. I think he's a fantastic coach um, and has got a core of wonderfully talented players. I'll be very surprised if Bristol don't finish in that top four. And you'll, have, you'll not be surprised that my players to watch are going to come from that particular team. Um, I, I'd love to see Quinns be in that team that break into that top four. And, and I think, John, you're right. Quinns on a Friday night at the start of the season. That's, I know there's not a crowd there, but I think that's a tough place to go on a Friday night. Um, I think the players that have been ignored um, by Eddie Jones will see themselves as having something to prove. Although they really shouldn't have. They're double champions. Um, but yeah, it's less, I, I hope that there isn't anyone heavily adrift at the bottom of, of the, um, the league. I certainly hope it's not Leicester and definitely not Newcastle. I have a feeling they're not going to have to worry about relegation next year, but we'll see on that one. Um, yeah, I, I, I see. I mean, I've got Exeter, Wasps, Bristol and Sale in my top four. Brilliant. Is, now, we've got, a few minutes, we've got a few minutes left. Um, I did mention earlier, we're going to go for players to watch out for in the Gallagher Premiership. So, uh, Nick, let's kick off with your choices, please. Thank you. So, I'm going I'm to identify a few players from Quinns, unsurprisingly, but this, is, this isn't my bias. This Genuinely, this post-Robshaw era has really got me thinking um, the other day, that, that back row, you know, you've lost uh, Jack Clifford, someone who uh, really experienced players, sadly retired. They've got really four players, Don Brandt, Evans, Chisholm and Lord Day. Chisholm, James Chisholm, baby Chisholm, as he's known down there. Uh, really exciting player. You know, I think he was potentially unlucky not to get the captaincy over Stefan Levis, who is well-deserved of it. But 
I think James Chisholm is going to be my player to watch. He is a workhorse. He has got that opportunity to to fill Rob Shaw's boots. He's he's a leader down at the camp. He on it when he's in form, he's a, a brilliant player. He's still you know in his early twenties as well. So someone like him, you know, paired up with Don Brandt and you know the turnover king Will Evans, it's a brilliant back line. But James Chisholm for me. John, how about you? Yeah, well, actually, I've chosen one from Harlequins as well, and you might laugh and say, well, yeah, he's not, but he's 21 years of age. And just because I picked him at 18, Marcus Smith, because mm. I, I, for the life of me, the, the, the difference now in him as a player to when we gave him his um, debut, and I think he's quite outstanding. And I know England are really lucky with the riches that are there. I understand that. But I think Marcus is going to be quite outstanding, and I think he's going to be right at the hub. And if he, if he, if Quinns are allowed to continue to play him, I, I think Quinns might well make the top four this year. I think they've got a great chance. I think it's a year where people can, can possibly get in there because Saracens aren't. I think if you're going to get in there, it's a year to do it. Quite unusual with internationals, and Quinns are not being hit too badly with that. So I, I, I see Marcus driving that. I think he's a quite outstanding player now and he's developed into a remarkably mature 21-year-old. One other I'd chuck you out as well is Brian Redpath's son down at um, Bath, Cameron Redpath, who I think is a fine, fine player in the centre. He's got his work cut out to play every week. Um, but if the internationals take the boys away from Bath and he gets his opportunities, uh, I thought he was tremendous. Uh, the game against Harlequins at the Stoop when Bath won down there at the second half of the season. But I've seen him a few times and I think he's a tremendous player. I, I really like him. I totally agree with you with Marcus Smith, John. I, I, what I like about Marcus, and I've interviewed him a couple of times as well, is he's got a brilliant rugby brain. You know, for a youngster, he really has. Uh, and I totally go along with that. So, Joe, um, how about you then? Player or players to watch for the season coming up? Oh, OK, well, I, I went back to to one of my old homes which was Falcon so I, I I chose Adam Radwan um winger because I feel like he more for the story because the thing is when Newcastle were last in the premiership he didn't actually get too many games because obviously they had Nicky Gonover they had um, DTH van der Moer was on the books Sinotti Sinotti was on the books as well obviously a lot of those names now are no longer in there and He's now 23, and I, I, I've got this horrible feeling he's going to do the Zach Kibarigi of not getting played too much and then going somewhere else and absolutely lighting up. So he needs that game time. So I'm hoping that, firstly, that is entrusted in him and he gets some game time on the wing for Falcons because every loan club he's gone to, he's, he's scored numerous tries. He's kind of been one of the, the star players. I think it was Tyndale that he had a really good kind of spell at. And no, it wasn't Tyndale, actually. It was Darlington Modern Park. But... You know, ultimately, he needs that game time. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what happens there. And also, I'll, I'll stick with Falcons and Callum Chick, former England under 20s um, player, because he's been one of those again. He's kind of been, you've been wondering if he's going to make kind of that step up with Mark Wilson potentially away for long periods of time. He might be used as that number eight option. He's a big lad, and he was the year above me at Pontiac and Rugby Club. So there we go. Debbie, last word for you. Come on then. Out comes the Bristol flag. You've got about three minutes. Two for me, actually. One from Saints and one from Bristol. Wow, okay. Go for it. (laughs) Max Malins for me from Bristol. Um, He's another one of those innately talented rugby players. Um, I think he's got competition for his place at Bristol, but uh, but I think he'll shine this year. Um, And another fly half in James Grayson. 
which is a name that seems to be ignored, another one ignored by England. There is a wealth of going on at 10, isn't there, at the moment? Mm -hmm. But I think he, he's another player who has an innate talent. He come, obviously comes from good stock, um, but he's a player I very much enjoy watching and I hope he has a great season. Brilliant. We unfortunately run right out of time, uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, John, ditto as well. Joe Harvey and Debbie. Uh, I've been Peter Moore. This has been the Big Kickoff Rugby Podcast. We will be back once again with more rugby talk in a couple of weeks' time, talking about the opening games of the Gallagher Premiership season, also reflecting on the autumn internationals with the uh, Nations Cup of course as well and also perhaps even reflecting on yet another New Zealand loss but hey who can tell we'll have to wait and see thanks very much guys and I'll speak to you in a couple of weeks time